You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, during the pandemic, Rochester's public market has endured the same disruptions as many other businesses, supply chain issues, labor shortages, and high gas prices. But it is adapting in its own way. It's a whole little, a small economy on its own, a microcosm. Plus, a mural on East High School depicts local and national leaders of the civil rights movement. We take a closer look at one man in the photo, the Reverend Franklin Florence. He didn't back down from controversy. He wasn't afraid of a lot of the threats. All that coming up on your local news podcast, Earshot. Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by Rock Vox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast, audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity. Produced in a full service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at ROCVOX.com. The public market is a Rochester institution, and it's been in operation for almost 200 years. And over the course of its history, it's adjusted to meet shoppers' demands. Right now, the market's operators are updating the facility's master plan for the first time in more than a decade and trying to assess and anticipate how the market is changing. My colleague Brian Sharp looked into this, and he found out that we're already seeing a shift in what's for sale at the market. He has this story. It's a Thursday morning at Rochester's public market and a light crowd is filtering through. Past vendors peddling fresh fruits and vegetables, kettle corn, and blossoming flowers. A group of retirees are seated around a picnic table at Zimmerman's and a swarm of grade schoolers just unloaded from a pair of school buses nearby. Normalcy is returning to this place that is such a part of the community fabric, but its threads have been frayed by the pandemic. The people are coming back. It's the market itself that is somewhat in flux. The pandemic really hit the market pretty bad. That's Cindy Barrett, a longtime vendor and farmer. She sells asparagus, beans, eggplant, and tomatoes, all grown on the family farm in Williamson. People are coming more and more now than they were before. Of course, now we got to deal with gas prices and everything else. The everything else Barrett speaks of encapsulates a lot. Labor shortages, supply chain interruptions, Changes in shopping habits as the pandemic sent many online. Then there's inflation, though the market historically has done better during periods of high prices. All of this has a domino effect on the industry. Some farmers cut back or changed what they were growing. Others went to fewer markets or switched to farm stands or curbside pickup. We've lost some vendors. Um, I mean, the prices of the stalls went up this year. Some people didn't renew their leases. It's just the, the, the economy and, you know, some people are just getting out of it. Not everyone suffered. Fresh meat vendors saw record sales as supermarket prices soared. More time at home meant more time for gardening, helping sales of flowers and vegetable plants. But Ted Cooper, with Kirby's Farm in Brockport, says foot traffic at the market has yet to rebound, at least on weekdays. Saturday, we sold over 100 pounds of asparagus and everything sold pretty well, but Thursdays have been not real that great. For a long time, the market's challenge was accommodating all the vendors who wanted in. That drove a multi-million dollar renovation and expansion completed in 2017. 
A new shed was built to be filled with farmers and other food vendors, but there wasn't enough demand, even before COVID. Projections of higher and higher revenues fell flat. Today, the market is doing okay financially, despite grappling with vacancies. It's a whole little, a small economy on its own, a microcosm of uh, what's going on. That's Jim Farr, who oversees the public market and has been doing so for 25 years. In that time, he's seen many market fluctuations. A little history lesson here. Back in the 50s, the market was supposed to close. Everyone was moving to the new Genesee Valley regional market. When some stubborn farmers refused to go, the only way to keep the public market viable was to open it to something it never had before. That's the first they ever let anyone in but food and, and farm products. Those vendors, peddling socks, underwear, and shoes, saved the market. As farmers' markets saw a resurgence in the late 90s and early 2000s, the vendor mix of the public market shifted back toward food. Now, since the pandemic, we may see a shift a little bit back the other way again. Already, farmers are routinely outnumbered by those selling crafts, hats, and kitchen gadgets. That's partly because of the oversaturation of markets now. But Farr says it's important to have a mix. Even among food vendors, the farmers and wholesalers ensure competition, and that ensures affordability. Those farmers who remain are making do. People like Mary Ellen Loss. We've been farmers all our life for generations. How long have you been at the market? 50 years. This is my 50th year. Oh, wow. Where's I'm your... the longest and oldest vendor. They make the regular trek to the market from the family farm in Avon. It's how she and her husband make their living. Now, do you do other markets as well? Uh, we used to, but I do not. Can't get the help. She is here Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, and she has seen the market changing. Fewer farmers, more hucksters, people that buy stuff and sell up and da-da-da, yeah. you know. But she can't complain, she says. She grew up during the Depression, so this, this pandemic and all that goes with it, she and her husband do okay. Things are going to change, she says, and we have to go along with that change. Brian Sharp is the business and economic development reporter for WXXI News. Hi, this is Megan Mack from WXXI. And if you're enjoying Earshot, subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. Catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson wherever you find your podcasts. This next story takes us back a little bit to the 1960s, when the civil rights movement was in full swing across the country, including in Rochester. One of the leaders of the local fight was the Reverend Franklin Florence, a pastor and community organizer. His image is part of a recently completed mural at East High School, where he's depicted standing next to Malcolm X and Constance Mitchell. My colleague April Franklin covered the initial unveiling of the mural, but she also wanted to know more about this man's legacy. She has this story. Yeah, she and, she and Malcolm were kindred spirits. So. Yeah. Constance Mitchell Jefferson and Ephraim Gabray are standing outside East High School, looking up at a huge mural that towers over them. Such a, it's a, such an interesting, like a powerful photo as well, you know? Mm -hmm. 
The mural is a replica of a photograph of Malcolm X, the Reverend Franklin Florence, and Constance Mitchell, taken in Rochester in 1963. Gabray is the artist behind it. I didn't know about Constance Mitchell or Reverend Franklin Florence when I was going to school. I didn't start to learn about them until this mural was brought to my attention. Mitchell was the first black woman to be elected to the Monroe County Legislature. She died in 2018. Mitchell Jefferson is her daughter. She says the mural is a welcome reminder of what her mom was able to accomplish. And she's glad the mural includes Florence. Everyone always utilizes the picture of mom and Malcolm. They don't include Minister Florence in it. She's right. In a lot of replications of this iconic photo, Florence is cut out of the picture. And people outside Rochester might not know the impact he had on the civil rights movement. If it were not for him, we would have no diversity in corporate America because he was the one that started it right here in Rochester. Today, Florence is 85 years old and he lives a quiet life. But as a younger man, he was a relentless advocate for civil rights. A little history here. A year after that photo was taken, Florence became the first president of a black activist group called FIGHT, which stands for Freedom, Independence, God, Honor Today. He and FIGHT are credited with changing workforce diversity, not just here, but across the nation. One of their biggest accomplishments was taking on Kodak. At the time, the company hired mainly white employees for roles as engineers and scientists, while black employees were kept at menial positions. When I grew up, if you worked at Kodak, you were sweeping and mopping floors, period. That's Gloria Winston. She's among the many young people who Florence mentored. She says at the time, despite having thousands of employees, she can only recall one black man working for Kodak as a scientist. People were not being hired that looked like me. Florence and fight sued Kodak, resulting in a legal battle that lasted two years. They also engaged in some unconventional tactics like crashing a stakeholders meeting in New Jersey. And it worked. Kodak started offering training programs for people of color, and more than 700 people were eventually employed by Kodak. His son Clifford Florence says remnants of his father's legacy of economic development and affordable housing can still be seen today. One of the failures that we've had as a community is we don't celebrate our own history and especially black history. Many of our young people don't know about the things that uh, he did. Florence says his father's legacy goes beyond the battle with Kodak. As a pastor and community organizer, his father was able to influence many different people. He had a relationship working with with the gang and gang leaders, and he was able to communicate with them in a way that at the time got them to think of other aspirations that they could shoot for. Many of the tactics Florence used were called radical at the time, but they helped to eventually bring change in the aftermath of the 1964 Rochester riots. He was responsible for uh, the first black factory up on Sullivan Street fight village and then there was fight square the fight organization started a manufacturing firm called fight on which created more jobs and fight square and fight village apartments created more affordable housing still he wasn't immune to criticism even from members of his own community he didn't back down from controversy he wasn't afraid of a lot of the threats that i'm sure were being thrown at him 
Clifford Florence says despite the criticism, in the end, companies like Xerox and Bosch and Lom became more diverse as well, making his father's efforts worth the fight. The tactics that he used to kick doors down for poor black people also helped white people, it helped Hispanic people, it helped everybody. April Franklin is a reporter and host of Weekend Edition on WXXI. And that's it for Earshot. Subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes in your feed every Friday. And if you like the show, leave us a review and spread the word on social media. Find even more local news on our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.